This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 5, Episode 16. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by Excess Sites. Today is Wednesday. I almost said August. I don't know why. Today is Wednesday, March 9th. 2022. <laughs> I am your host, Riley Bowman, that apparently is dreaming of the late summer, early fall. I guess it's technically still early, early, late summer months because it is cold and snowy here in Colorado today. <laughs> yep. A lot. I mean, yeah, visibility is reduced and we got a nice fluffy snow happening right now. Yeah. It's beautiful. Just, uh, yeah. Uh, it's not August. It is definitely not August. That is true. Many of you across the country dealing with uh, colder weather, from what I understand as well. So we hope you're well wherever you are and safe in your travels and driving and so on and so forth. Of course, uh, that voice you hear, if you're not watching, is co-host and founder Jacob Paulson. Hello, good sir. Howdy, 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 howdy. Good old-fashioned Wyoming howdy. It's a Toy Story quote. I know. That's the shark. Howdy, 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 howdy. Look, I'm Woody. <laughs> Today we bring you our interesting news and gear reviews episode. We got a bunch of great stories to cover. Uh, we'll be talking about everything from Italy, meaning a new Italian uh, firearm manufacturer with a new product, all the way to the Ukraine and, and some relevant industry news there, I think is interesting and we'll talk about here today, to stuff here in the States with Sig Sauer and a bunch of other things I think you'll find interesting. Uh, we've got a firearm recall. We, we try to highlight those where we can in case uh, it's important that recall information gets out to the masses in case people don't hear about it. So, uh, and apparently that one is actually a recall. So that's that's definitely important. And it's not from Sig Sauer either, just in case you're wondering. Uh, and uh, today's episode is sponsored, brought to you by our title sponsor, Excess Sites, uh, makers of fine, fine quality handgun and shotgun and rifle sites. But we primarily use them here on our handguns, although I do have uh, one of theirs on a shotgun as well as on a rifle. That's right. I have one of their front sights on an AR uh, rifle. So check them out, excesssites.com. They make all their stuff in the United States of America, and that's becoming more and more important all the time with instability across the world. Also keeps some costs down because if you're like me, you see the, uh, the way the fuel prices are going up. That means transportation of goods and things is not going to get any cheaper anytime soon either. So... Right there in uh, Texas, good old Texas, making their uh, anything from their standard and old, like kind of their original product they're known for, their big dot sites to their newer stuff and their suppressor height line and the F8 night sites and the R3D sites too. So check them out, exercise.com. Use the coupon or discount code CC Podcast and save. Is that 10%, Jacob? I, I think, think it is 10%. 10%. Yeah, 
Either way, you're going to get a little discount if you use CC Podcast when you check out at accesssites.com. We appreciate them for sponsoring the podcast. Also, today's episode is sponsored by the 2022 Guardian Conference. 15%, sorry. Oh, 15%, even better. 15% off. That's why I turned to you to find out because I, I can't remember these things. One of these days, maybe I'll stick them up on a, all the discount codes and things we offer up on a on a, on a chart or something here on the wall. That, that might not be a bad idea. Old-fashioned solution, so I have it always in front of me. <laughs> 2022 Guardian Conference, September 16th through the 18th, 2022 in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. In fact, at the Oklahoma City Gun Club, which is like yeah, 40 minutes from the airport, uh, like 12, 15 minutes away from some fine accommodations that we have a event group rate set up for, uh, decent eating places not too far away either. And uh, yeah, the, the range is a f- fantastic facility, lots of shooting bays, lots of shade and cover to get out of the sun uh, when you need to. This will be three days of jam-packed training from world-class quality instructors uh, featuring all kinds of things from shooting a handgun to carrying a handgun to the legal portion of it to medical uh, uh, trauma and first aid as taught by our our very own Brian McLaughlin at uh, Mountain Man Medical and all the way to -to hand-to-hand combatives taught by Todd Fossey. we got a lot of great instructors, AJ Zito doing some red dot classes Wayne Dobbs, who was featured on the podcast last week, teaching real-world TCW skills, and a bunch of other great, great guys. We'll be introducing more of them in coming weeks. Check it out at guardianconference.com. Take advantage of the current reduced price that is available now, but will go away probably relatively soon. So don't delay in signing up for the 2022 Guardian Conference. If you talk to anybody that was there last year, you'd find out that it was the place to be and you missed out. So make sure that you're not left out. Guardian Nation members, by the way, save the most off of the ticket price and will be available or be able to attend a special VIP dinner event on Friday night. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. And even if you're not a VIP, if you're not a Guardian Nation member, you're still going to learn a lot and come away with huge value from the event. GuardianConference.com. Sign up. We hope to see you there. It's going to be a great time. And we're going to have Jacob there in full health, <laughs> helping and running a lot of the show. <laughs> That'll be nice. Yes, it will. All right. Let's get into our, our uh, news today. So as mentioned, this is a industry news and gear reviews episode. Uh, first one from MLand.com, actually written by our friend John Crump over there. And this is titled, ATF Moving the Goalpost Requires Photos and Supplier Info for Home-Built Silencers. And actually, Matthew and I were talking about this earlier today, and it's 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 a frustration for sure because I what I don't understand, Jacob, is that historically in this country, we've been, as American citizens, able to manufacture many of our own firearms. Uh, for our own personal use and even able to manufacture our own silencer devices. Now for a long time, since the NFA was passed, we do have to apply for what uh, it's called a form one. We send in the form one application to the ATF. They review it and they send back an approval after we pay a tax stamp fee. 
and say, yep, well, go ahead, build your, your silencer or suppressor. Well, what I don't understand, Jacob, is ATF seems to be coming after these companies making these various silencer kits, like almost like kind of like the 80% uh, receiver, you know, deals on the, uh, on the firearm side. Well, these are kind of the same sort of concept on the suppressor side. And what they're basically doing is they, 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 they're now asking, this is something that's never been required before that you submit photos of the actual components that you're going to be using to make the silencer with and also provide information relevant to where you acquired said components. And, you know, the idea here being that now it's going to matter how these were manufactured. Um, but, but what's weird is like, I'm, I'm applying for an application to do it. Like, like whether I actually manufactured these myself or whatever, like who, who, what does it matter where it came from? Like I could just go buy a bunch of hardware store pipes and different things. And if I'm crafty enough and have the tools enough to do so, I could just make it myself and still send in the application. So that's kind of the conversation that Jake or that Matthew and I were having earlier today was like, what well, this is punishing the people that are actually following the law by applying for the, for the permit essentially. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, it's already I don't understand the motive because I feel like suppressors already shouldn't belong in in the NFA, right? They they already shouldn't be like class 3 items. Like it, it's it's bizarre already that mm-hmm. they they're part of this classification along with SBRs and uh you know fully automatic stuff and you know, whatever. Like it, it, it's just, it's already bizarre. Like it, and it's, it's almost antiquated to some degree because we, the association of what that tool was in 1934 when that law was passed is, is, is no longer, well, it was never really accurate, but, but the perception then is certainly not the perception now. And so it's all, you know, we've been, we've been waiting for, for years and years now for, for the suppressor to be pulled out of the NFA, to be removed from that, that list of, 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 of items because it never made any sense. And we got really close a few years ago uh, at the, at the federal level of making that happen. And, and it's, I mean, other countries almost make fun of us, right? They think it's just absolutely <laughs> bizarre. I mean, you go talk to some dudes, some English dudes from England or, or Australia or Canada, you know, and, and, you know, cause those, they all speak the same language as me. So I can actually talk to those, those, those are why those examples. And, and you ask them about it. They're like, yeah, we don't get it. Like we don't understand. Like, like where we're from, it'd be rude to shoot a gun without a suppressor. So I don't understand why in America you guys, you know, associate it with bad guys and, and criminality. So, so we already have that going on. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, like the way I perceive this is there's this concern that, um, you know, people are buying products from AliExpress or Alibaba, some Chinese websites or they're, or that they're, I don't know, that they're, they're importing components in order to manufacture a suppressor and that the ATF's really concerned about this. Like, oh, we need to know where this crap's coming from because heaven forbid, you know, components or pieces of these homemade suppressors be becoming that that's, that's the inference that I'm getting from this is that that's the concern that's driving this action. But it seems like they're, they're digging in on an issue that they need to dig out on. Like they're going the opposite direction. Like, I don't know what they hope to achieve. Like, so what? Like, who cares? Like, mm-hmm. what? What is the point anyway? And and to your point, that the idea that this only targets people 
who are trying to go through a overly complex and, and, and pointless legal process anyway, it, the whole thing just makes no sense. Like it's so backwards and confusing that I just, I would love to know how much of our tax dollars were spent on this. It, it says in the article, uh, you know, 850 applications out of 300, uh, out of 3000 submitted by Americans were rejected. And then this letter went out requesting this additional information. How much of our tax dollars are being spent, you know, grinding gun owners through this ridiculous process so that they can obtain a thing that just makes the gun less damaging to the ears. I, I, I just, uh, I'm, I'm completely at wit's end on this one. I don't, mm-hmm. I'd love to understand the purpose. Like what's the objective? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you said. So, yep. Why, why are they on the uh, NFA list, if you will, anyway? Yeah. Very valid point. Um, as was mentioned, many places throughout the world where, I mean, there, there are countries where you walk into a gun shop and the guns may be fairly heavily regulated compared to here, but then there's suppressors just sitting on the shelf. <laughs> like, yeah. 200 bucks, here you go. Like, like a screwdriver. You know? Yeah, like completely <laughs> un- unregulated in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, craziness. Uh, ATF, it, you know, can, and, and this is far from the only thing that they're moving the goalposts on or attempting to. And, you know, so there's there's a bunch of stuff going on right now behind the scenes with respect to uh, pistol braces. And, and uh, that'll, I'm sure, be another topic for a future episode, as it already has been in the past, as that continues to become a thing. Let's go now to, uh, actually, Matthew Marister wrote this article for us on concealedcarry.com. Uh, it says, some some R7 Mako handguns recalled by Kimber. So the R7 Mako was just released, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. And uh, unfortunately, already there is a product recall for this new sub or micro compact nine millimeter pistol. Uh, and, it, you know, this, this is a gun that seems like it's been I've been seeing a fair amount of talk about it from people online. I, I think that they're that they've probably sold a good number of these already. Um, but so it does say here that and this is from Kimber's. Uh, release their their press release about this issue said that they have discovered a quality issue involving the firing pin safety block of certain Kimber R7 model handguns. This recall uh, affects certain serial numbers that were shipped from January 10, 2022 through January 14th, 2022. So it's actually a very limited uh, window there that this affects according to that statement. Uh, which means there were pistols, from what I understand, that were made be before that, and uh, uh, so something happened there. And the firing pin safety block is faulty. It says that firearms assembled with this faulty firing pin safety block may release multiple rounds from a single single trigger pull. <laughs> That's my well, favorite part. Sorry, I was waiting for yeah. I was waiting for you to read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that's problematic, although maybe <laughs> exciting for some of you. Some of you may almost desire to have such faulty pistol. Although that would be technically illegal per the ATF. 
yeah, registered be, machine be, gun. That's a felony. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it's a felony for Kimber to, to make and sell too. So yeah, <laughs> good, good on the, you know, this is, is this, the, I think if I'm recalling correctly, this is the first Kimber um, striker fire gun. I don't think it's the first striker fired necessarily. I think there was, uh, um, am I, am, that was am I wrong? Hamber- I mean, I'd have to do a little digging on that to be certain. I think, um, this is the first like polymer framed. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Uh, uh, I think it's the first polymer framed gun they've made. Yeah. What certainly is true is that it's, it's not in Kimber's core wheelhouse. It's a bit of a diversion from from their normal, you know, manufacturing. So, um, you know, maybe or maybe not that has any contribution to this issue. Maybe they just had a, a supplier that was supplying them with a part, and they thought that those parts were good, and there was a batch of them that were bad. I mean, who knows? But, uh, yeah, you should probably, if you have one of these guns, you should probably go to the show notes, click through, and, and deal with this ASAP. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. According from from Kimber, please contact us as described below immediately and do not load, use, sell, or otherwise make available your handgun as the condition may lead to serious personal injury or death. Uh, what it doesn't say there is also jail time. So I, yeah, I would I would be all over this. Yeah. Yep. There you have it. So if you got one of those, make sure you get it taken care of. And uh, we've done our due diligence, at least in notifying you of such. Well, our next story is on the firearmblog.com. Sig Sauer files a lawsuit alleging P320 misrepresentations by attorney. This is pretty interesting, actually, uh, because if true, if these allegations are true, this this is uh, this could get downright spicy for certain for certain individuals, especially for this particular attorney and or law office. Um, I've had my own opinion about some of the things that have been represented in the public eye with regard to the uh what's the word you know the the safety i guess of the of the p320 pistol especially since the fix was you know put in place for the original p320 pistols now, you know, most everyone is familiar with the fact that the older P320 pistols, it was known that if struck from behind or dropped at a very specific angle from a certain height onto a hard surface or struck again by a, a hard object, such as a hammer or mallet from the, again, the correct angle on the back of the gun, that it was possible to get it to discharge. They issued a fix. Now, by the way, it did pass all known standard industry protocols in terms of safety before that ever occurred. And there's been some other pistols that have since also had to introduce fixes for a similar problem that, again, passed the same type of safety protocols and tests. Um, but because of the 320 uh, being, you know, probably the most prominent one and having a probably very expensive uh uh, upgrade program established as a result of this. Um, it's, uh, and I think this has been a good thing for the industry. Honestly, I think it's uh, made everybody a little more self-conscious about the guns they're make- making and making sure that they're, that they're safe, safer than ever before. Anyway, my opinion has been with recent reports of P320 drop safety issues 
there's been a number of lawsuits alleging that the upgraded pistols also have a safety problem. I mean, they can discharge while within a holster inadvertently uh, through no fault of the gun owner or carrier. And I'm pretty intimately familiar with the workings of the P320 pistol and also have consumed some content from uh, a fella on the YouTube channel known as Sig Mechanics. I think it's the name, Correct. right? Yeah. And he breaks he breaks things down almost the same way as I as I mean to a greater extent and far better than I, you know like he's actually opened my mind to some things but but a lot of the same arguments that I've made with respect to like I just don't understand how these guns could just be discharging according to these lawsuits and I believe this attorney Jeffrey Bagnell is involved in several of those lawsuits that I'm referencing and I'm like this this doesn't add up because the new upgraded 320s are 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 very very safe uh, there's a lot of reasons why I won't go into, you know, it's not, not, this is not the place or, or the time to do that. What, but what's being alleged here is that, uh, apparently, uh, Jeffrey S. Bagnell Esquire LLC, uh, hired a company to put together some animations based on CT scan images and microscopic photography. And SIG is alleging that, the way they those were done were both uh, uh, false, inaccurate, and misleading as far as uh, how the inner workings of the P320 pistol actually work. And SIG has now sued this attorney and his office uh, for, for this purpose and has also released some of their own images demonstrating where SIG believes... Uh, he is wrong or incorrect or misleading. So that's kind of the, and this will be interesting to follow and see what happens. Yeah. I find this interesting because I, I, I think there's, there's politics to this in addition to detail, right? So, so what I mean by that is if Jacob Paulson hired some company to take, you know, microscopic photos and put together an animation of the P320 and threw up on YouTube and said, check it out. Here's a cool video of how the P320 works. I probably would have gotten a letter that said, hey, can you please take that down? It's not accurate. You know, from six hours. <laughs> like, I just, I'm making this up. I don't know what they would have done. But my gut feeling is that this guy's getting a lawsuit because it's, it's, a, it's effectively like a countersuit. It's like, hey, you came after us. We've had to invest money and time to defend ourselves. And so we're we're going to now show that your actions have been damaging to us, and so now we're coming after you for damages too. <clears throat> anyway, I, I think that there's my point is that your backstory is relevant in that um, an original issue has led to drama, and drama led to this attorney doing something that was you know a misrepresentation of of the inner workings of the gun, and that led to six hour. Um, you know, coming after this guy for for misrepresenting those workings, which they feel that misrepresentation is damaging to their company. Oh, absolutely, it absolutely is. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and they're presenting evidence as to why they feel that way, um, showing how his images and or animations uh, misrepresent. And I would say, based on how intimately familiar I am with the P320 pistol and how it works, how it functions. I've worked on these for a number of years now. I've fired many tens of thousands of rounds through 
my P320s. I have swapped out sears and triggers and things, uh, usually in the form of putting in a uh, upgraded one from my personal sponsor, Gray Guns. And so, like, I, I'm looking at this one showing the sear and striker foot interface. And uh, the uh, animation is trying to depict something known as rollover. And even like looking at the geometric shapes of this striker and sear uh, interface. It doesn't even look how it actually looks in real life. Like looks very rounded, let's say, uh, and imprecise as a as a piece. Um, and so, I, I yes, I'm inter- interjecting some of my own personal opinion into this uh, story, but that's because I think there's something to this. I think Sig has a pretty strong case here. Um, because it matches up with my own personal experience and what I've witnessed and what I've worked on and what I've seen. Um, also aligns with what uh, Edmund at uh, Sig Mechanics has been demonstrating in recent months with his new YouTube channel, which is putting out some solid info on the 320. So anyway, um, there you go. Interesting uh, lawsuit to follow as well as other ongoing lawsuits that I believe still exist out there. Uh, from people, you know, various people suing uh, Sig Sauer for apparently injuries received or, or whatnot from guns that inadvertently discharged. And again, if you have an updated pistol or an upgraded one, um, I, I cannot conceive how it could just suddenly discharge. Uh, it is a much safer pistol than the original one. So just, just something to consider and uh, think about. Um, speaking of six hour, Jacob, why don't you tell us there's a new P365 handgun in a new caliber? Yeah, this is going to be real short and simple. They now make the P365 in 380, 380 auto. So, yep, <laughs> like it's really not much more to it than that. In fact, I was a little bit disappointed because when they announced this, I thought, oh, maybe it'll come with. Uh, greater capacity magazines. You know that would be a potential advantage of the P380 of a 380 versus a nine millimeter, and and it it, it doesn't. It comes with the same capacity magazine. So uh, a person might, however, really want 380 because 380, uh, you know, arguably has less felt recoil. Maybe uh, I haven't I've not handled this gun, but presumably the the slide might take less uh, muscle, less pounds of pressure to to cycle to the rear. And so, you know, those might be advantages of this new gun. But um, for you, in exchange for you paying more for ammo, you're not getting any incremental capacity, from what I can tell. Yeah, I uh, I definitely think that the recoil spring in this 380 version of the 365 is has got to be lighter. I mean, or else the gun wouldn't function. It wouldn't cycle. Um, that's going to be nice, I think, for some people. Uh, this, this gun does does come optics ready okay so it already has the optics cut that is going to fit the sig romeo zero optic or the rmsc or uh the uh, hollow sun 407 and 507k series optics uh so that's nice that it comes optics ready uh different caliber and this may very well suit some shooters better than the already existing nine millimeter version uh i don't know that it would uh, serve much purpose for me 
there's no size. Keep in mind, there's no size reduction here. So um, for me, if I'm going to be carrying a P365, then and there's no difference in size, then I'm going to, you know, based on my 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 skill, my level of ability, as far as gripping and managing recoil on a gun like this, uh, I can run a nine millimeter version just fine. So like, why not have the slightly, you know, the, the better performance in terms of uh, the ballistic and terminal performance. So also but, cost. I mean, for, for me, cost of yes. ammo is a significant issue here. And, and this Absolutely. would have been true if you'd asked me three years ago before any ammo shortage drama, whatever thing that you may or may not be feeling we're dealing with now. Like yeah. the 380 auto is extraordinarily expensive given that it has lower performance. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, today who buys a 380? It's someone who's concerned about their ability in terms of muscle strength to operate something greater than a 380, either because of recoil or because of what it takes to cycle the slide. So yep. I, yeah, I don't, whatever. No, I'm, Completely with you. In fact, I just had a conversation with a family member uh, the other day that was asking me about uh, buying a nine millimeter or three eighty, and they made that they made the comment. They're they're relatively newer to guns. They're like, yeah, I was thinking a three eighty, and then I I noticed the price of a box of three eighty that that was on the shelf was was twenty eight ninety nine or twenty nine ninety nine, and the nine millimeter was you know around twenty bucks or twenty one ninety nine or something like that. I'm like. They're like, is that typical? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty typical. That's about what you're going to find, uh, you know, difference-wise between 9mm and 380. It's It's been that way for as long as I remember. So even back when you could buy a box of 9mm for, you know, 8 bucks a box, oh, man, those were the days. Uh, your 380 still was 50%, maybe even more expensive. Yeah. So I, I mean I, I see 380 on a on a, a bell curve right now. Like I think it's at the top of its height of popularity, and I think we're going to see it drop uh, and settle down somewhere right about where 40 is. That's a bold prediction. That's a bold Thank prediction. I, I do think that there's a lot of individuals out there that uh, 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 find value in the 380. Uh, I am curious if rounds like the 30 Super Carry take anything away from it, and if the 30 Super Carry actually takes off. I I would say I would I would go along with your prediction if the 30 Super Carry takes off. If it doesn't, I don't know if I'd go quite so far uh, in your in what you just proposed. Although it's hard, like it'd be interesting to see some numbers in just how popular the 40 Smith and Wesson actually is right now. Uh, how many of those guns are actually being sold? How many rounds of ammo are actually being sold? Well, that, you hit it on the head. In order for my prediction to have any weight, we'd have to d- determine how we define it. Yeah. Because guns being sold and ammo being sold and accessories being sold are all entirely different things. Yep. Uh, you know, you, you might have X percentage of handgun market controlled by the 380 caliber in terms of gun sales, but I suspect the less of the ammunition market is made up of that, right? A person, I might buy a 380 auto, but not shoot it very often because the ammo is way too expensive. I go buy nine millimeter to shoot my nines. So anyway, sure. I, I don't sure. see a world where 380 will become more popular. Like we thought it would two, three years ago. We thought it was growing. Like, oh, the 380 is really starting to become very dominant. It's going to be a player. And I, I, I think the opposite now. I, my inclination is that it's hit its height of the bell curve. Yeah, and I, I there's, a, I think, a very obvious reason at least to me why it's done that and uh i think that's because of this 
advent of this arrival of nine millimeter pistols that are about the size of 380s. I think 380 served a purpose, a niche. People when for people that wanted like that a certain size of a gun, you know, basically a pocketable gun. And you see now nine millimeters that are the size of 380s of yesteryear. Uh, mm-hmm. generally speaking, I mean, LCPs and whatnot are still substantially smaller, let's say than a P365, but we're not that far off. You get nine millimeter performance, uh, out of, uh, not much bigger a pistol. And so I, I, I think there's very valid reason why, um, 380 is probably fallen off a little bit or will be falling off. That's pretty, that's pretty strong. I'll give you one more and I know that we got to move on, but uh, I also think that it has to do with the gun industry being less sexist and smarter. So I, I hope think so. That, yeah. We, I mean, over the last you know five to 10 years, we saw a massive insurgence of women buying guns. And I think that uh, our industry has come a long way in being less, less sexist than it used to be. And I think that there was a time where, uh, we sort of said, oh, you know, by we, I mean, as an industry at large, oh, you know, women should shoot 380, you know, or it's, it's, for, it's for weaker people, which is very sexist, to be clear. That's a horrible attitude and, and not one that I would endorse ever. But, but that, I think we saw a lot of that. And, and as we've gotten smarter uh, and more experienced and, and less sexist, we've realized that, like, you know, first off, gender has nothing to do with it. It's about muscle strength and size. And there's small and weak men and there's, you know, tough women. But more importantly, I think we've acknowledged that that was not a solution that's really that viable. Um, it's not the best way to solve the problem we're trying to solve. Like, you know, making it have slightly less felt recoil and maybe slightly easier to cycle slide is 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 not the only way to, to solve the problem we're trying to solve. So anyway. Yeah. All right. Good discussion. Moving on to AmericanRifleman.org. And this is in response to uh, uh, Randy on Facebook, who asked about this. New for 2022, the Springfield Armory Hellcat Pro. Uh, and this will be a rel- It's funny. You, you, you led that last article saying this will be relatively short. And we ended up having quite a discussion about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I did, didn't I? Uh, this, this will be relatively short. Um, the, uh, the Springfield Hellcat, of course, released... Uh, what probably two years ago now, give or take. Um, and now they are coming out with the Hellcat Pro, which the simple way to explain this is it's kind of like a Glock 48 sized version of the Hellcat. Uh, so now it comes with a 3.7 inch barrel. That's a little bit shorter than the 48, but not by much. Uh, but the grip length is, I think, what's quite a bit different than the original Hellcat because you now have a grip length that holds like flush sitting inside the gun, a 15 round magazine. Uh, so this is a, uh, this is a good bit larger than the original Hellcat. Uh, and is you know, like I said, pre- pre- probably pretty close in dimension to a, a Glock 48 or 43 X. Uh, the barrel length of this one is, is kind of, I think somewhere between a 48 and a 43 X. Uh, this is also similar to the 365 XL. Although I think the grip's a bit a bit longer, and uh, comes optics ready from uh, what I've seen spec wise. Uh, folks wondering if we you know have looked into this much or have personal experience. No, I have not seen one or even ha- handled one yet. Um, you know, so maybe at one point will I don't know. But uh, 
there you go. That's the Hellcat Pro, the 15-round mag. Like I said, that's standard capacity for it, uh, slightly longer barrel. And other than that, it's going to be pretty much about what you expect. Uh, you know, nothing's changed as far as the width of the gun. Uh, uh, you know, the, the grip texture is pretty pretty much about, you know, what you expect. The trigger is going to be basically the same. Um, so there you go, Hellcat Pro. So. Yeah, I got nothing to add. Yep. Yep. Uh, oh, and uh, I would normally, I'd be remiss if I didn't add because usually somebody calls me out. How can you talk about a gun and not tell us what it costs? Uh, the uh, Hellcat Pro retail price suggests retail price $634. It's a very ambiguous number, but, uh, or whatever. But uh, I guess we didn't mention what the uh, P365 380 costs. Um, I closed that tab already, but I believe it's basically about the same price as a, as a standard P365. So I would expect, in other words, if you're familiar with the 365, it's, it's going to be about what you'd expect somewhere in that, I think five, 500 to $600 price point thereabouts. We do have an interesting new entrant, uh, into the, uh, um, nine you know full size nine millimeter pistol market if you will and this one from an italian a new italian gun manufacturer known as revo arms and they announced at iwa which is the kind of the international version of shot show which just concluded a week or two ago uh and they they announced their new is9 pistol which is being billed as a as an affordable, low, in all caps, bore axis pistol. This is according to the fireandblog.com. Jacob, did you check this out? It's not so much an article as, as, a, as a video that you uh, that's posted and you'd have to go watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I checked it out. Um, it, it certainly looks like it has a really low bore axis. Uh, it has a, a grip safety. You know, it's, it's kind of, for me, it's like Glock, but shorter slot you know, you know, lower bore axis slide and and throw grip safety on it uh that that about summarizes it for me i i mean it looks it certainly looks interesting we see a lot of new guns that kind of look like this you know it's i think the the pitch on this one is the super low bore axis and that sounds interesting but i'll i'll add that in my personal opinion, bore axis is is not a big as big of a deal as I once thought it was. That's something I've changed my opinion about. Um, having you know shot the uh, the Hudson, the H nines when they they were around, and then you know seeing some of the other entries into the market that that try and play on you know bore axis as a selling point or as a knock on a competitor. I yeah, I don't know. That's a big yeah. deal. It certainly could be a big deal, uh, particularly maybe for a newer shooter who is tr- still trying to develop some grip or for someone who, you know, needs to develop some grip muscles. And I, I don't know. I mean, I actually don't think potentially, so. Uh, I, actually yeah, don't so think so. I, was, I was trying. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm with you there now. So this, this does look like an interesting entry into the market. Uh, again, it's an Italian manufacturer. Uh, sounds like I, I, I didn't get the feeling that they have much other, past firearm industry or manufacturing or engineering experience. I mean, so what's kind of interesting about stuff like that, I could be wrong in that, but, but watching the video, I'm like, eh, kind of sounds like some dudes got together, some engineers are like, let's make a gun. And, uh, which is kind of how Glock started by the way. So 
<laughs> so it's always possible to, you know, not have a ton of industry experience and, and actually make something that 40 years later is still one of the top guns in the world. But anyway, um, does use it does use Glock mags. So that's, which I think is cool. Like, I think it's always smart when, especially up and coming newer gun manufacturers, uh, just use other companies mags because why or sites or sites. Yes. Use, use Glock sites as well because, uh, why, you know, reinvent the wheel and why waste a uh, precious development resources on having to develop a magazine as well as the gun itself. Uh, we know the magazines from, from, for Glocks work really well, have a long track record. So seems like a pretty solid plan as a reversible magazine catch. Um, yes, it is low, low, low bore axis looks very low. Uh, I noticed that it's got a interesting, uh, means of, of how the recoil spring assembly is installed. So typically most Browning style action striker fired guns in particular, really just about any, any Browning style gun, uh, a few exceptions has the recoil spring where it's inserted into the slide and it kind of locks itself in place. This one looks like it, it gets inserted into the frame or the grip module, because this is actually a chassis-based uh, uh, frame, and so it's actually a grip module that the chassis sits in, inside. But anyway, the, the the recoil spring gets installed first, and then the slide goes on top. So that's kind of an interesting take, and I think it's pretty evident that there's a reason why, since uh, you look at how that slide and barrel and everything fits, it sits very, very, very low. That's true. So they've accomplished their mission there. Uh, a couple of uh, thoughts I had with regards to this. Um, uh, it does have a grip safety, which I'm not super crazy about. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would like to think that they could probably easily offer one without that. Um, but knowing that these are Italians and, and they might have a different approach to things as us Americans, that, that might actually be an important feature to them. I don't know. Um, but I don't particularly care for the fact that 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 grip safety exists. I think grip safeties are kind of pointless, personally speaking. Uh, and just as a, it does create another potential failure point. Cause we know from other guns that sometimes they fail and they cause problems. Um, grip safety. It's got, let's see, there was something else that came to mind. Um, the takedown works pretty well from what I could see, although you'd have, you do have to pull the trigger to get it to finish uh, taking down. Um, it's about what you'd expect. One thing I did notice or pick up on is that the slide sits so low in the frame or grip module. There's not a lot of purchase. It's kind of like a CZ in that respect. Uh, so just be prepared for that. If this is something that you think might be interesting to you down the road, I imagine it's going to be some time before we see these in, in, in our country. Um, but you know, there's, kind of some specialized technique, if you will, or some considerations at the very least to how you're going to manipulate that gun to get good, consistent purchase on the slide. And that is one challenge with low bore axis guns. A lot of times is they could, you know, that you remove a lot of slide dimensions to it and there's not a lot to grab onto. So something to think about. And the low bore axis thing from having shot a lot of guns through the years, um, I don't see a substantial a substantial enough benefit from 
guns that are advertised as low bore axis uh, to make that a a primary decision factor, decision making factor uh, for me to consider buying a gun. I, uh, I think it's a greater factor for people with underdeveloped shooting skills. And I and I actually and I disagree with that. Yeah, that's interesting. I, we'll I don't talk about that more. I that's don't see that it makes one heck of a difference for for lesser skilled shooters. If anything, maybe a greater skilled skilled shooters may be able to make take more advantage of that. But here's the thing: when a gun, uh, due to low bore, low bore axis recoils, okay, yeah, you 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 eliminate some of the muzzle rise in theory. Uh, based on that, but there's also something you give up. There's not as much effect on that slide taking the gun back down once it closes and goes back into battery. So the common example would be, we'll take your Glock and compare it to a SIG. Well, SIG sits so high above the hand and has this really tall slide. And so the argument is it doesn't have very low bore axis, so it recoils a lot or has a lot of muzzle rise. But what's true that that may be true, but what's also true is that the SIG goes back to target on its own, perhaps a lot better than a, than say a Glock or this new low bore axis thing from Italy does. And so the the end result is actually not all that different uh, from what I've seen. I I think there's far more to be gained by the specific tuning of a gun. Um, and, and I don't want to get into the weeds on that as part of this discussion here today. But I just believe it's uh, not nearly the, there's just not as much benefit to be gained there, not as much juice to be squeezed as what people th- make it out to be. And that comes Perhaps. From, I, yeah. I, I shoot a lot of rounds and I run a SIG and it's, well, you're also biased. You also have, have a great deal of bias there. And so I don't think that your point is invalid and it's something I'd like to study more. But I also take everything you say that relates to six hours with a grain of salt. They're great guns. They shoot well. And if sure. bore axis was a thing, it wouldn't shoot as well in theory. Okay. <laughs> I re- I remain in, in the opinion that you have a bias. Of course I have a bias. Everyone has biases. It's all good, um, but I believe my assessment of that particular topic is pretty low biased okay (laughs) should we talk about ammo yeah we got some top ammo makers from the from america doing something kind of cool i guess steve i love us as makers like plural but it's really not well all right why don't you tell us give us the rundown of the story all right in short vista outdoors which owns a bunch of ammo companies like Rem- they bought Remington. They own CCI spear and federal ammo. They've decided they're going to send a bunch of ammo to Ukraine, uh, specifically 1 million rounds of ammunition. So they have already, you know, I thought, I thought it was interesting or, or notable, at least in the article that they're all, they already sell a bunch of ammo to that country that they have an ongoing and existing past, you know, relationship with selling ammunition to the Ukraine. And uh, so as part of their support of the Ukraine, they're sending an incremental you know, bonus, 1 million rounds of ammunition and uh, doing a great job on the PR side of 
making it look like four different companies are really coming together to make this happen. Yeah. Uh, well, they do operate different plants. And sure. So, and they are different brands, and they sure. started as different brands. Mm-hmm. But does also reference the their competitor, Ammo Inc., which that was a little uh, uh, sideline story that if you uh, didn't follow, that's also worth worthy of note. I didn't have a separate link for that in the show notes of today's episode, uh, but you can follow the link right here in this article to the one about Ammo Inc., which is also on their own accord, donating another million rounds, which honestly is more impressive because Vista Outdoors and their four brands are huge. And Ammo Inc. stepped up to the plate in a big way, I think, as a smaller manufacturer and said, we're also giving a million rounds to Ukraine to help in their efforts there in the war. So um, It's become socially um, valuable to support the Ukraine and to poo-poo on Russia, whether whether you agree with that or not, like neither here nor there. But it, but it, it's become like <clears throat> like putting an investment into your brand to support the Ukraine and to you know not support Russia. So these companies are are doing something that I think is a good thing. I appreciate that they're doing it, but mm-hmm. it it certainly is going to be beneficial to their brand. I have to agree. We don't have to go off into the political weeds but uh i look at it and see one country that decided to invade another country and if they didn't do that like world would just continue going forward as normal uh status quo uh so not sure why russia decided they need to do this um and there's some bad things going on over there dude uh yeah i mean bad things to me it's less that they did it and more about how they did it and why they did it and how they're going about doing it for I sure. Mean, we for U.S. Sure. has invaded countries. We've 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 taken territory and made it called it our own. So you know, there's there's it's all about the how and the why, and not necessarily the what here. But that's you know, to your point, neither here nor there. Also, fireandblog.com reporting about some new biodegradable shotgun ammunition. Uh, this also was something that was discovered at IWA 2022. And uh, this is called BioAmmo, which is uh, uh, made by a company called, like their branding actually is literally biodegradable ammunition. Um, it's pretty interesting. Basically, this is shotgun ammunition that has a 100% biodegradable case, a 100% biodegradable wad, and a 100% biodegradable base. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, uh, so it, it actually references here how one spent shotgun hole, wad cup, and base wad equal on average about three to five plastic shopping bags and material, uh, which actually kind of is surprising to put it in that context. But if you think about it, shopping bags are, are pretty thin, and, and I can see how that would add up. But uh, point is, that's a lot of plastic to leave laying around. Um yeah, so biodegradable animal ammo made by this company out of uh, Europe. I didn't see exactly where they're um, out of, um, but uh, it's uh, pretty interesting stuff. So if that's something that's important to you, this may be something that is coming to a store near you soon. Who knows? Um, Did you see anything in there about pricing? I was I looked to see and yeah. I couldn't. 
it, it didn't specify in great detail. It did acknowledge that bio ammo will be more expensive, obviously, than just standard shotgun uh, ammo and uh, shotgun holes. Uh, but did say, says right, in fact, I'll quote, uh, says, while their shells do indeed cost more to manufacture, bio ammo shotgun shells are priced competitively enough to make them an attractive option for people who are both environmentally conscious and looking for a shotgun shell that performs well. Yeah, I could see this being the sort of thing that, you know, if I'm just at the shotgun range, I might use standard ammo for practice and whatever, you know. But if I'm out hunting ducks or whatnot in the rivers and streams and ponds and stuff that, you know, maybe I might want to use this, you know, where my shotgun holes and, and wads are going into, into the natural environment. So yeah. I, don't I see it as something that California will probably require. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, it would probably, that's probably not untrue at all. But I'm glad the option exists, certainly. Yeah. Yep. Finally, we get to an article from guns.news. Uh, title is, as Ukraine hands out guns to citizens, the left finally realizes the Second Amendment is not for hunting. And again, I think we can talk about this without necessarily getting all political about uh, Ukraine versus Russia. Um, just by, you know, just just acknowledging the fact that we have a smaller country being attacked by a much bigger country and that the citizens of that smaller country have been called upon to fight for their country uh, in a very like last ditch, last minute sort of effort, uh, which is uh, kind of remarkable. We haven't seen anything quite like this uh, for, for, you know, a long time, uh, many decades. Uh, And so, and, and frankly, I don't know if we've seen anything quite like this on a large scale, uh, where a government has basically like pulled trucks into the, the city square with loaded with guns and are like, here you go. <laughs> like, uh, we need you. Here's your gun. Here's a little bit of ammo. All right, go fight. Like, that's it's, uh, that's quite a remarkable thing. And it, it does highlight, and that's kind of the point of this, this article, it highlights um the dangers of restricting second amendment rights uh, obviously you know a country like ukraine doesn't have a so-called second amendment like we do here but uh you know it, it, even joe biden just in his most recent uh, state of the union address talked about how uh you know made the the reference to like what what why do we need high capacity magazines for hunting purposes and stuff like that and it, it's like um point case in point right here you know i mean i know that our current country's leadership is going to counter back with well we're not at any risk of being attacked in this manner we don't need citizens to have this kind of weaponry and you know ammo capacities and so forth but this country is founded upon some very important ideals and principles that are enshrined in a in a second amendment or thing called a second amendment that goes back to the fact that we believe in the individuals being capable of not only defending themselves, which by the way has been held up in Supreme court, but also defending our country if, and when called upon. Um, And if we go back to the 
the earliest wars of this country, we we had citizens that basically showed up with their hunting rifle, you know, their own personal gun or like, okay, let's go to war with the Brits, you know? And so this, this, this is just interesting to see how we are watching in another country, in another part of this world, essentially prove the case of why it's important to have an armed citizenry or at least one very important case. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really interesting because there was some context in this article that was helpful for me uh, when I first read it yep. relative to understanding the culture in the Ukraine relative to guns. Mm-hmm. Because even, even though they may be pulling into the town square and handing out guns and saying, here you go, like help us out, it, the citizenry doesn't know how to use those guns. Yes. Uh, certainly not safely. I mean, they, are they even really a contributing factor, you know, at this point or if, if they're running in, running into battle and they, they, they've never used a gun before because up till now they've been effectively completely outlawed. Um, I, I think that's also an interesting component here. You know, you, you can't form a militia out of people who have never touched a gun before just by handing them a gun. So it's, it's, it's an important part of our heritage and our culture at the deepest roots of, of America. And yet, certainly, yes, we are not in danger of being invaded in the U.S. today. Like, that's a pretty remote uh, thing to consider, um, in part because our military is so huge, right? Like, we we spend more in our country's defense than the next, like, 63 countries combined or something. Uh, but also, perhaps because of the Second Amendment, right? It's one thing to say, we don't need the Second Amendment because we're not in danger of invasion. It's nothing to say that maybe the reason we're not in danger of invasion is because of the Second Amendment, Right, and so mm-hmm. I think those are yeah. th- those are important That's considerations fair. or ways of thinking of that 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 are maybe being neglected. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> it's it's a it's a beastly thing. It's it's a it's a challenging political argument to make to say that we should own we should allow citizens to own guns because it prevents a tyrannical government from from doing naughty things or that it you know protects us from invasion or it increases our odds of de- of of creating you know country's defense in the case of invasion um it's it's not a popular argument to make and it's a difficult one to make w- and sound reasonable frankly mm-hmm. uh, but <laughs> you know what would the people of Ukraine have said about you know 6 months ago would they have thought it plausible that their that their you know, governing body be running around handing out guns Probably not. Mm-hmm. Probably not. Things do change, sometimes mm-hmm. in short order, and and in fact, things are changing faster now than ever before because of the nature of technology and communication and things like that. So, uh, you know, what might seem like oh, maybe in fifty years, it could happen very quickly today in, in our current you know geopolitical climate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, I agree, and, and I'll just add to that context you just added. Uh, or mentioned that history has shown that when stuff goes sideways, it it, it often goes sideways a lot quicker than we ever expect. Uh, this whole thing in Ukraine went sideways very fast. Uh, this was not even a topic of discussion a couple months ago. And uh, look at where we are now and look at how an entire country is 
just, I mean, it is the scenes coming out of there are, are again, hard to even fathom or imagine that that was possible um, a few months ago. Uh, it's hard to even imagine that we'd be where we are with uh, respect to stuff like fuel prices. Like, how did we get to where we are right? You know, like it just stuff can change so, so fast. Uh, look how fast things changed for us when COVID hit and, and how that's completely changed our country probably forever. Uh, and, and affected our economy and everything just from this, from this virus, you know, just, it's easy to think that you know, it's easy to get complacent and comfortable with the status quo and think that my oh, life's good. I got nothing to worry about. Stuff can change really fast. And this is, by golly, this is America. We're proud of that fact. Uh, we have a proud legacy and heritage and culture, as you mentioned, uh, that says that we, we are independently strong as a people. Uh, and that's, that's, an, that's an important ideal to who we are. And we cannot bend over backwards to let those, and they are out there that would like to take our rights away from us. We can't bend over backwards and let, we, we can't bend at all and let that happen. Uh, I believe that what we're seeing in Ukraine is maybe not a apples to apples comparison or example of it, but it's certainly something that shows why it's important for an independent free people. So at the very least, we make that case every month when we share justified safe stories and how many lives are positively protected and influenced by their ability to protect themselves and the ones they care about the most. Okay. Uh, we're, got a few we're, we're right at about an hour but we'll go through our uh gear reviews now uh relatively briefly i'm gonna go ahead and throw it at you jacob and uh, let's hear what your gear review is this month yep in fact i'm gonna reach over and grab it there it is okay so it's gonna sound really boring and that's okay i don't mind being boring but my review my gear pick of the month are these ReadyUp Gear USB rechargeable AAA batteries? So ReadyUp Gear has uh, a couple of different rechargeable battery options. They have 16340s, which are the equivalent of the CR123A batteries. They have 18650s, and now these AAA batteries. And uh, I think you know rechargeable batteries is not a new concept, but the convenience factor on these things is great because man, forever, rechargeable batteries meant having a, like, charging device. You know, this big you know, brick that you got to put all your batteries in and charge them up, and you got to plug it in somewhere. It's just a bit of a pain in the butt. And and I really love these USB rechargeable batteries because the charging port is right on the battery, and they take a USB. Uh, these ones take the micro USB cable, which is a, like, common household item, right? Like, everybody's got one. It's like you got a toaster, and you got a micro USB cable or 50 uh, somewhere in your house. So I really appreciate these. Uh, I've been just swapping out slowly things in the house with these batteries, you know, from TV remotes and the mouse and keyboard to, of course, plenty of things we use on the range, like my ear pro. And it's really nice because when they die, I can pop it out. I mean, we all have power these days, USB power. So that's just not a challenge. Uh, I keep a portable power uh, thing in my, in my range bag, this one right here. 
as it were. And so, you know, with the quick USB port, I can recharge these batteries. They charge pretty fast and they have an indicator light. It flashes green when they're charging and then it's solid green when they're done charging. So I know when they're done charging, I'm not just guessing, oh, it's been on the charger for so long. Um, I've been doing some testing and from dead to, to complete recharge, it's pretty fast. Uh, I mean, maybe three hours uh, gives you a complete full recharge of these things. They they hold uh, a thousand milliwatt hours, so they're relatively decent in terms of capacity for a rechargeable uh, battery. Uh, they're probably not the highest capacity rechargeable battery you could find, but that's in part because the USB thingamajigger in the battery takes up some space. So I'll happily trade that feature for slightly less capacity than maybe some of the other real high capacity rechargeable batteries on the market. Um, they come, I, I, I know that I'm getting a little wordy with this, but they come in a nice plastic case too. They, they're sold in a four pack. And this case is really nice. You can chuck it uh, in your uh, range bag and not worry about things getting lost or bouncing around. And the case can hold triple A's or double A's. It can hold uh, you know, four of either. So it's a really kind of nifty, clever case as well. And I just think it's a, a nice range item, uh, but it's also a nice household item. And I think that they're relatively affordable. They, they claim, I haven't, you know, I've every reason to believe that this claim is valid. Uh, they claim to to last for five 500 cycles without any degradation and up to 800 cycles before you need to just chuck them out and replace them. So that's, that's pretty good. Yep. Awesome. Good stuff. My review today is actually of the ModLite uh, PLHV2 handheld as well as the PL350 uh, weapon mounted light from, from mod light, obviously um, actually in, in full disclosure, I, w- I was given a PL350 from mod light to evaluate. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, but here's what's, what's cool about mod lights products is they're quite modular. So uh, you take the, the light head from the PL350 and you can throw it on one of their, really any of their, their light bodies and so I, I did go ahead and I purchased the uh, the shorter light body uh, so I could also test this out in the function of a handheld light. Uh, so this is the 18350 light body. So it uses a, an 18, 18350 rechargeable battery. You could alternatively get this in the 18650 body length, which would be yeah, the body itself, the the middle portion where the battery battery sits, would be roughly twice the length, uh, a little bit less. And uh, I was looking for kind of the more compact version of this, and uh, that's what I got here. I ordered it with the Therm Switchback uh, uh, 2.0, which coincidentally we just happened to ship out a bunch of them uh, in this last box. The 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 Therm Switchback. That's this little ring. Uh, device that attaches to the the rear of the light uh, and has a clip integrated into it. And this is, so I actually was talking to somebody, they're like, I can't believe this is the first year getting your hands on a mod light. I was, they're like, I've heard you talk about them before and talk favorably of them. I'm like, yeah, I have, because I have friends that I trust that have talked about them and recommend them for, for some time now. And I uh, was just finally able to, you know, get my hands on on the stuff here. And um, it was on my roadmap to to pick up uh, at least one of these mod light lights. And uh, the cool thing is, is like I said, I've I've got the single light head that I can move over from this handheld unit or put it on the PL three fifty weapon mounted light unit and try it out both ways in, in the course of my evaluation. Now I haven't 
spent much time with the PL350, but I've been using now the handheld light here in this configuration for a month-ish. Yeah, about a month. And it's a it's a fantastic light. Uh, here, here's what's great about lights like this. And there's a couple other competing products that are starting to be you know, pick up some steam and, and, and hit the market actually just recently, in fact, from one major of their competitors. Uh, but but let me talk about what this light really does. Uh, it's about three, 1350 lumens. It's quite a few lumens, obviously, but lumens isn't everything. This also has about 54,000 candela. Uh, if you're not familiar with the term or you don't know how that compares to things, it's a lot. Uh, I can shine this, I can step out in the front of my house and nearby I have a, a, a high school. I can shine this light. I don't know how far it is. I, sh- I, uh, I've pulled out my laser, um, range finder, but it's been a while. I want to say it's about 250 yards to the wall of this, uh, high school, like this big, you know, exterior wall. And I can light that thing up substantially. Like it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, Positive identification of, of situations, of people, of threats is really, really important. It's really important to me, and I think it should be important to concealed carriers. Uh, and I think having a, a high-performance light um, can have a place for you in your in your EDC gear, if you will. Uh, I think there's a time and a place maybe for for various setups of, of all kinds and sizes and, and outputs and whatnot. Where I see this being a very valuable tool is if you're someone that takes your your dog for a walk at night or you go for a stroll or something in the early morning and it's kind of dim, dimly lit, uh, you might encounter people along the way or different things. Uh, this allows you to light somebody up in a manner from a distance that allows you to maintain safety. If you feel like there's something shady going on, uh, allows you to identify things from a greater distance. And that that is helpful in defensive context. Number two, a light with this kind of brightness and throw, that candela rating, allows you to really punch through ambient light conditions. So I have a street light just down the ways from me that with a lot of my other lights, if I try to light up somebody that's standing below that street light, because of this spill of the street light around, it, it it's hard to actually see what that individual might be holding in their hands or what they might be doing, what their intents might be. But a light with this kind of output and throw really allows you to, to punch through that other light source and, and see details in a way that you otherwise wouldn't be able to. Uh, that, that has its own, its own power. And finally, when you hit somebody in the face with this, especially at any sort of, close or intermediate distance, they cannot see anything. <laughs> I mean, it it is blinding uh, and overwhelming. And I don't care who you are. You, you can't stand to look at this thing. It will like melt your retinas. And that is a powerful defensive tactic, all of its very own. So um, I think there's a, I, I, I don't know, like I said, I think there's a time and a place to have, you know, a high performance light like this. And uh, I've got this and I like it and we'll continue carrying it for a time now. And they are not, they are not cheap. So that's the, probably the one big downside, but with performance usually comes a price tag. So this light as it's currently configured is going to run you about 300 bucks. So not inexpensive. So 
there you go. If you want it, you're going to pay for it. And if you got it, you're going to, you're going to like having it. <laughs> it's good to have a competitive marketplace uh, and have another real good, solid, trustworthy, reliable brand out there making lights. They're pushing the envelope. And then, like I said, that's kind of causing other, uh, other competitors to really kind of rise to the occasion as well. So really mm-hmm. where, we're, where we're taking this is, is everybody's just getting better. And right. that is not a bad thing. So cool. That's a, that's a wrap for today's episode. Uh, guys, you can check out the show notes of today's episode. Uh, we always post the, all the stories and things that we've talked about, even the, even the product recommendations or gear reviews we've, we've just done. There'll be links to those in the show notes of this episode. So uh, if you want to go read for, the, read for yourself about these new stories or find these products, uh, that's where to go look. Again, another sh- final shout-out to our episode sponsors, XS Sites. Of course, they're our title sponsor of this podcast. You can find them at xssites.com. And then also the 2022 Guardian Conference. We hope to see you there. Find out information and register today at guardianconference.com. Final words, Jacob? Stay warm out there. It's 10 degrees outside where I am. Not the coldest, but it certainly ain't warm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And be safe, folks. Be safe uh, in this winter season and with your driving and all that. Um take care out there and of course as always make good decisions and be safe uh, tactically speaking and to that point we leave you with our parting words to train right train often and train safe so you can fight hard fight fast and fight true take care reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed carry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast